Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. In this episode, we have Kay Mortimer, and her webpage is Covenant Truth Ministries. She says she was called to be a minister of the gospel at an early age. She has been a lifelong pursuit of understanding the Bible and Christianity. As an ordained minister, she now shares treasures from God's word through all available means to reach others, inviting them to come into a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus and grow as his disciple. With special emphasis on Hebraic roots and Jewish connection to the Christian faith, and with deep study of the riches of the Old and New Testament, Covenant Truth Ministries seeks to bring a fresh perspective and insight of God's mighty revelation contained in the Holy Scriptures. So I just want to welcome you here today, and I appreciate you being with me. Thank you so much. It's a joy and an honor to be with you. Thank you again for the invite and for having me. So I probably have told my story on here before, but the way it all began for me was actually meeting a rabbi and getting to talk to him, and he was messianic, and hearing him speak about scripture and in a way that I had never heard anybody else speak about it is what really like got me excited. And I was already studying scripture, but I was really studying it from a Hebrew, I'm sorry, from a uh, Greek point of view. And he opened my eyes that there was this whole other Hebraic point of view and Hebraic writings that we don't quite get. So I was interested in how you got started. Okay. In my case, I was reading through the scriptures similar to you. I had mostly a Gentile type Christian upbringing, Greek or, or oriented, so to speak. And so I didn't know much about Jewishness. I wasn't, um, as far as I know, I'm not Jewish um, unless, you know, maybe something is in my DNA. I haven't tested or whatever, but I wasn't really grown up in that. And then one day I was, I happened to be reading, I was reading all of the scripture. So I was reading the old and the new Testament, but I didn't really come to understand the connection until this one day, the Lord kind of arrested me a little bit when I was reading through Luke chapter 24, where it talks about the resurrection and how he, he was raised from the dead. And then he meets the two men on the road to Emmaus and he's begins to talk to them and pretends, you know, as if he doesn't know what they're talking about, what's happened, et cetera. And then if you go on down in about 20, verse 25, I think it is, he begins to chide them. And he says to them, you know, ought not the Christ, the Messiah, have suffered exactly as the prophets had said and things like that. And then it goes on a couple of verses later, and it says that in beginning at Moses and the prophets, He expounded to them all the things concerning himself. And then a little bit later, he held another Bible study. I like to call them. And I love to have been at his Bible studies that day. But but (laughs) later on down in verse 44 or 45, he's with the other disciples then. And he says basically the same thing. And in that passage, he says that beginning at Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, He taught them everything about himself. So he, in essence, covered the entire Tanakh, which is the scriptures that they had at that time. And then later in John chapter 5, verse 39, or this was much earlier, I'm sorry, much earlier in John chapter 5, he's talking with the leaders of Israel, the Jewish leaders, 
And he says to them, you search the scriptures to try to understand them, but you don't understand. You won't believe in me. You don't understand that they speak of me. And so he was talking about the Old Testament or the Tanakh when he was talking about these. So when that happened to me on that day, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, and I'd read that scripture probably many times that particular day, which has been probably some 20 something years ago, I guess, maybe 20 years ago on that particular day, it just really arrested me. And I was like, wait a minute, if he's in the Old Testament, I want to know where. I want to know how he's portrayed in the Old Testament. So that began my journey. And it's been, like I said, a lifelong journey since then that has turned the scriptures around for me in the sense of giving me deeper understanding because they are connected. They're inseparable, the old and the new. There's an inseparableness to this. And, you know, you cannot really understand the new if you don't understand the foundation and the connection to the old or to the Tanakh. So that's how I got started originally. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And I love things like that. I love when God takes something that, you know, even scripture that we've read probably 50 times or heard read another 50 times. And then it's like suddenly you get this new revelation about it. And it's like, whoa, how come I never saw that before? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's just a cool story. So thank you for sharing. Well, you're welcome. I, I've just been excited ever since. And and I've always been called to teach the word. And that's always been my passion. So I've studied it for years and years and years. And now since that time, when I began to see that connection and the Lord began to reveal more and more, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, just like he talks about. And it's changed my life. It's changed my understanding of the word. And now I have the ability and the privilege to be able to try to share that with whoever I can Mm -hmm. through either writing or primarily through my podcast and audio message ministry now at this point. Right. And you can, like I said at the beginning, you can go to her website and I will leave that with the notes for the show, but it's um, covenanttruthministries.com. So you can check out and see all of her books and everything there. But I want to go back to two things that you said because you made me think of something. So number one, my husband and I just had this conversation, but we were talking about how Jesus shows up in the Old Testament and we often don't see it because we're not looking for him there. But also other times that he he might even be called an angel of God or the Lord's... Um, Captain of the Lord's host. Joshua. Lord, yes, the captain of the Lord's army. That's the other one. The thing that is striking in the difference is that when John and Daniel both see an angel and they start to fall down and worship, the angel says, no, do not worship me. I am not him. I'm not God. I am just an angel. And they they forbid them. But but when when you see someone worship this angel in quotes um in the old testament that you you know it's got to be the messiah because no an angel would not allow themselves to be worshiped and so if you see worship then you know it's god That's you right. know it's it's jesus incarnate right. and you know it's it's um or it's pre-carnate right pre-carnate. yes pre-incarnate but, so so it's um so it's very interesting that 
you know, how you can see that. But, but the second thing is I was reading a book and he was talking about desire. So in, it actually starts back with Adam and Eve and everything and how desire is kind of mentioned several times there. But, but the point he was making was that desire comes from a need. So we might desire food because we have a need for food, but a desire can also be come from being filled. Mm-hmm. And when we are studiers and when we, when we understand something or we are filled with understanding or knowledge or wisdom in something, we have the desire to share it, to teach it. Yes. Because we are filled yes. with it. Yes. And I thought that was so cool because it's true. Yes. I mean, when I learn something new, oh my goodness. I will follow my husband around the house to explain to him what I have learned. I will find him. He cannot hide from me around this house because it's like, no, I got to tell you what I just learned because it it has such an effect on me. And then the more I study, the more I want to teach. That teaching desire that God gives us is from filling us with his word. And isn't that cool? Yes, it is. And I'm the same way, you know. I know that my pastor at my church and I have spoken about this before and, and, you know, don't take this wrong, but, but we've said things like we've got the most sanctified furniture in the, in the, in the county or whatever, because we preach to it all the time. You know, it's just that rehearsing. It's like when that, when you understand that, I know that it comes out in me a lot. And I think that we, we have a, a, we're in good company because Jeremiah was the same way. Remember? He was like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to speak anymore. And, but he said what? It was like a fire burning in my bones. He said, I I had to get it out. I had to get it out. And so the students of the word that are called to share that and teach, it's like that. We, we have to get it out. And so a lot of times, you know, the Lord will, he'll wake me up sometimes early in the morning or whatever. And I'm just always jotting down notes, whatever he gives me. I'll say, okay, Lord, you know, this class is coming up, you know. What do you want me to say? And he'll just give me the outlines and, and that kind of thing. I've got a couple of new classes that I'm starting. One is on prophecy. I want to, you know, my class to, to know where we stand in terms of what the Bible says is coming in the, in the future days. But the other one is um, called the volume of the book, portraits of Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And I'm going back because I was reading about that in Hebrews the other day. And it was talking about how it was a quote from Psalm chapter 40, I believe it is where he said in the volume of the book, I've come to do your will. And it's all about him and that kind of thing. And um, I had just recently taught a class live and I've got it posted through my channels on, on my, through my website as well on my podcast channels and on rumble. And it was on one in Messiah. And so I was trying to bring in some of the Jewish heritage to our church and help us understand that. And so I taught that class. And um, and from there, now I feel compelled to some degree to bring them now the understanding as we begin to look at Genesis through Malachi in our Christian Bibles. Of course, it'd be through Second Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible. But as we begin to study those books, I want to show how Jesus is in there because he showed that's what he did in Luke chapter 24. And he did a Bible study with them and said, you know, here I am. Here I am, here I am, here I am. And he went through, you know, Genesis through um, Malachi or whatever. And so, you know, I have that same kind of passion. And so I'm, I'm loving it when the Lord gives me nuggets and to share those with other people 
it just, it means the world to me. And it is just such a thing that I just don't ever forget those things. It's like when the Lord teaches you those things, you remember them, they are embedded in there. And um, it doesn't matter how long ago it's been. I still remember things on the baptism of Jesus or, you know, his prayers in Gethsemane or other things. It's just, it's fabulous what he does and what he reveals to us and how connected it is. And I've taught my class, I've taken a a puzzle box with me to class. And I've said, you know, hey, you know, the Bible is like this puzzle box in this sense. All of the pieces that are needed to give you the picture on the box are in that box. Thing is, you've got to dig and find the pieces that match and put them together. Solomon wrote about that in Proverbs chapter 27, when he said, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search it out. And so it's like all of the pieces to understand the Messiah, Jesus, are found in the Tanakh. That's exactly what Jesus did in Luke 24. And he took the Tanakh, the puzzle pieces out of the box, and he put them all together in Luke chapter 24, so they could understand, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, it was right that the Christ would come and be the suffering servant that David prophesied about in Psalm chapter 22, and that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 53 and other places. And, you know, Moses talked about the serpent on the pole, and Jesus connects that as well to his suffering and so forth. So the New Testament reveals what was already concealed In the old, it was all there, but we didn't fully understand how it all connected. It's like they had the pieces to the puzzle, but they didn't have the picture on the box until Matthew 1. And when Matthew 1 comes about, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Right. And so then Matthew, you know, begins and I'm I'm about to do a a new study on that book, um, that book verse by verse and chapter by chapter in the near future. That's why I've heard several people even tell me that it was Matthew 1 as a Jewish person that helped them to understand that this is not because they thought that Jesus was the Christian God. He was some dead man on a cross. Many of them have said that. And, you know, he came alive to them when they understood. No, wait a minute. He was Jewish. And they were absolutely amazed that to find out that the Christian Messiah that we, our Savior, is their Jewish Messiah spoken of in their Old Testament. And so it's, it's things like that that just absolutely fascinate me. And when the Lord is showing me those things, just like you, we have to share them. We have to share them because there's so much joy in that and depth in it. And it helps us understand so much more. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a really good point because in... In Matthew 1, when he says the son of Abraham, it's basically saying a child of the promise, the child of the covenant that God made. Yes. And then when you, whenever you read son of David, it's always a messianic idiom or messianic term that is always, always talking about the Messiah. And so he's mentioned right there in, in the very first verse his name, his title, That's and right. he is the Messiah. And and even if we left his name out, even if we and just said Yeshua, the son of David or son of Abraham, son of David, then right away we would still know we are talking about the Messiah. So it's it's very interesting because again, 
That's, That's right. a Jewish That's right. understanding that we lack in the church. And so, um, and even the son of man, when now we read often son of man, you know, an angel talked to Ezekiel and called him son of man. But when that definite article, the, the son of man is there, then it's always messianic. We don't see the difference often, but the son of man is messianic term. Right. So there's lots of things like that in the Bible that we don't quite grasp or we gloss over because it's not a big deal. But when someone was calling to Jesus from the street, as we read in the Gospels, and calling them, the son of David, you're the son of David, come here. In their mind, they understand, hey, you're the Messiah, come heal me. You know, they're referring to him as the Messiah and they got it. They understand it. And Jesus radar goes up and like, oh, somebody who's got it. I've done a message before on the healing him is what I called it. H-E-M. And it was about where Jesus healed the woman Mm -hmm. with the issue of blood who touched his hem. And so I bring in there about how the hem that she touched would have been those fringes on his talit those fringes on his garment that Moses had commanded had to be put on the four corners of the garment. And that comes into play with Malachi chapter four, verse two, where it says um, to those who fear him, he will, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, wings, in his fringes. Right. And so when she reached out, because if you read in the gospels, she said, I must touch his garment. I must touch the hem of his garment. Why? Because she knew that Malachi had already prophesied about him. And so when she did that, remember, he he knew that she had done it. He didn't know who. Well, he, he obviously, being God, probably did know who. But he turned around and said, who touched me? And he was talking about who touched me with that kind of faith. And then he said, your faith has made you whole because her faith was you are the Messiah. You're the one that Malachi prophesied about. Your fringes have the healing that I need in my body. And I'm reaching out and believing in you, my Messiah. I'm calling on you, my Messiah. And so, you know, when you understand those things, then those kinds of passages become alive to you so much more. And we see that, yes, they were putting their faith in him. That's why he would say, your faith has made you whole. They recognized who he was, just like you were talking about a minute ago. They got it. Yes, they did. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you see somebody get it. Yes. Whenever I teach and their eyes suddenly go wide and they're like, hold it. Did you just say what I thought you said? Did it? And it's like these light bulbs are coming on and it's like, yes, Yes. you're getting it. You're getting it. And And I would always tell my class too, I said, you know, listen, if you're getting wowed, I've already been wowed by the Lord, you know, when, when he reveals it to me. So now my joy is to tell, to tell it to you and share it with you as well. Yes, exactly. Amen. When you were talking about the wings in a wedding, I read where the husband would put on his prayer shawl and he would wrap his arms with the prayer shawl around his wife as, as a bird, you know, as a mother hen takes her wings and protects her young. And whenever we see that image of mm-hmm. bird or wings, sometimes it's talking about the Holy Spirit and other times it's talking about that prayer shawl, like you mentioned. And the wings, you know, when you hold the prayer shawl out, it's like wings and they wrap it around 
their new wife, their new bride. And it's like, um, it's that form Mm -hmm. of protection and that covenant. And it's such a beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. Um, I've already done a uh, podcast with a friend of mine, Dinah, talked about the betrothal and all the significance of the betrothal with the gospel and with the covenant that God made with us. And so it's a beautiful thing how it all comes together. And Passover also mirrors this covenant that um, we have in marriage as well in some ways. And we're going to talk about a little bit about that today. I was going to just mention real quick, when you were talking about the wings and the husband would wrap the wife, the bride in the wings, it made me think of Boaz and Ruth mm. because when she lay down at his feet and she, he woke up and he, she asked him, take me under your covering. Mm. In other words, she was asking for him to enter into that covenant with her. She was making that appeal as a Jewish woman in need of the Goel, in need of the kinsman redeemer. And she was asking him to redeem her and to bring her into that covenant. So it just made me think of that when we were speaking of that. And that's a beautiful picture. And we could do a whole whole series on covenant, couldn't we? Oh, yes. Yeah, we could keep going on that. But part of Passover, part of everything that we read in the New Testament is part of the messianic covenant which the larger picture is god's covenant with all people and how that that is displayed and i and i think sometimes that we read the bible as a series of stories instead of one redemption story it it begins with a garden of eden well, of course, it begins with creation, but part of that creation is the Garden of Eden. Man was put into this beautiful garden. Yes. And it actually ends with this Garden of Eden coming back so that God can take back what was lost in that garden. And so we see it as one big story of God wanting us back into the Garden of Eden. And part of that has to do with all the covenants that he made and we we've often talked about the law but it's actually God's instructions and God gave us instructions so that we could live for him and it those instructions are part of serving him what we do is part of serving him it's not to be saved and it's not to um look good and be legalistic it's part of serving him Passover and all of these feasts that he gave all point to the Messiah. Yes, they do. And Paul even brought that up about the whole of the law, um, that it was our tutor to bring us to Christ is what Paul says. Mm. Yes. And, you know, my, my understanding is that the word Torah in the Hebrew means to point to or to give direction to. So I think that's why Paul comes along in the New Testament and says that Christ is the end of the law. It doesn't mean he abolished it. It means he was the whole goal that it was aiming at to begin with. It was the finish. He, it was the finish line, so to speak, or it was the goal that, that the whole of the law was pointing at. And I remember doing a, a teaching one time before, and I think this is up on in the archives of my ministry, but it's been a long time ago, but it's called the cross is the filter. And I showed about how Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he said, And so I showed how there are things in the law and in the Torah that stop at the cross, not because they're not good, but because they were fulfilled at the cross. 
And the Passover lamb is right. one of those. John right. said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. So we don't need to sacrifice anymore. Exactly. But we still need the Ten Commandments. We still need the moral code. We still need those things. Those things come through the cross mm-hmm. and they are affirmed by Jesus himself mm-hmm. and by all of the apostles in the New Testament. For instance, Paul said, let him who stole steal no more mm-hmm. so that he will now have something to give to meet the needs and so forth. So, I mean, we have to understand that connection. And so I see it as the cross being the filter. What is fulfilled at the cross stops there because Jesus has done it and he has met those demands. Mm-hmm. But the other things, as far as our interactions, our reverence of God, you know, all of the Ten Commandments, you know, I know there may be some in these big churches that are going around saying you don't need them, but yeah, you still do. They're still applicable. They've been affirmed by the Lord himself right. and by the apostles. So they still apply to us today. There are things that I have rejected in the past that the Lord's opening my eyes to. And I think that's all I can ask from anybody who's listening to this. Do your studying and read and listen with an open heart and an open mind for God's spirit to instruct you and for the word to instruct you because he will reveal himself in there. He will show us what he means about things and what he's teaching us. I agree. I agree. I remember one day when I was reading through about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and how he's praying. And he says what we think is the exact same prayer for all three of those, you know, those times that he was praying. And, you know, we read it and it's, you know, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be. But if not, not my will, but thine be done. And so he says that three different times. But in the scripture, it appears to be the exact same prayer. And I remember one time before, I love how the Lord does this, because a lot of times when I'm trying to understand this, I'll ask him a question about it. And sometimes he comes back many times. As a matter of fact, he'll come back with a question to me because he is trying to reveal something to me that I already know, but haven't connected yet. And he's trying to point something out to me. So that's what happened with these. So I'll never forget. I said, he asked me, he said, what had he just done? That was a question I received from the Lord. And so it directed me to go back and think about, wait a minute. He had just had a Passover Seder with his disciples, the very last one before his crucifixion. And in the Passover Seder, they had followed the Seder. They had followed the order and they had done all the commandments, all the cups. They had drunk the cups, etc. So, you know, we know that there's the four cups of Passover and they come from Exodus chapter six, the four I will statements that God said. So we understand that what each cup represents. And so I got thinking about that. And I I remember then and even in the Gospels, it tells us the difference of the cups that he was drinking, because one of them was the cup after supper, which is the cup of redemption, the third cup. And then he said, I will not drink the fourth cup, until I drink it with you in the kingdom, because that one is reserved for our marriage, our wedding, when we get to heaven with him. And we're under that beautiful heavenly hoop. I can only only imagine that it's got to be gorgeous. But anyway, so he had just drunk three cups, and they were the first three cups, and they represented, the first one represented the consecration, 
The second one represented, or sanctification, you can call it either way. The second one represented the cup of wraths or the plagues. And it refers to, I like to refer to it as crushing. Um, because when you look at Isaiah 53, where it says it was the Lord's will to bruise him, that word for bruise literally means to crush, to powder. So, right. you know, I use a, a mortar and pestle every day for some of my medicines. I have to crush them to powder. I know exactly what that's saying. And so it was the Lord's will because there was no other way that the son of God had to be crushed to powder. So I call the second cup, the cup of crushing. And then the third cup was the cup of redemption, where he would literally give his life's blood, the shedding of blood to pay for our sins and to redeem us back to Mm -hmm. him. So he had just drunk those at the last Passover Seder, but he drank them symbolically at that Passover Seder. However, when he was in the garden in between the Passover Seder and his time at the trials and in the cross, that's when he was about to drink those cups for real. He was about to experience exactly what they represented Mm -hmm. And there was no way out of it. And he knew that. So in that garden, he's praying for those individual cups. He is praying, I believe, I believe the first cup representing the consecration or the sanctification to me represents the crown of thorns, which is similar to the high priest mitre in the Old Testament, because the high priest mitre consecrated him to God. It had holiness to the Lord written on the on the front of it. So it's that holy crown, I call it. And I have a message on that in my archives as well. And that was what was represented by that first cup. Then the second cup, he had to be spat on. He had to be whipped. He, The Bible tells us even prophetically in one of the passages in the Old Testament, it says, I gave my back to those and they dug the furrows deep in my back. Then, of course, in Isaiah 53, we find out that it was by his stripes we are healed. So he knew that the crushing was going to come. He was going to have to be tortured and go through God's wrath and God's plagues to pay for our sin. So he was asking for that cup. And then the third cup, the cup of redemption, was the actual cross, fulfilling Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob blesses his children and he tells about the lion that will lay down and who can rouse him. Even the angels could not pull Jesus off that cross. Nobody could pull him off the cross. He laid down his own life. He laid down on the cross exactly like Genesis 49 had prophesied through Jacob. So the third cup was that cup of the cross itself, the crucifixion. And so he was praying in that garden for the different cups. It might've been the same words, that are recorded, but it was for an individual cup that he knew he had to suffer and he knew he had to fulfill. He had even asked the disciples earlier when they were like, well, we'll follow you wherever. And he's like, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He was serious and he knew what he was going to have to do. So it's things like that, that it's like, it makes it come alive. And so when I'm reading that now I go, it wasn't the same prayer. It was a different prayer for a different cup that he was fixing to Mm -hmm. suffer. He was about to suffer in that way. Isn't that beautiful? That is just amazing to put that all together. For me, it just makes it so real. And in the sense that 
I don't know. You can just see the pieces again. It's like that puzzle you talked about. Now the picture's becoming clearer. You know, I have more pieces in that puzzle put where they're supposed to be. And now it makes more sense to me. And I understand what he was saying. One of the things I had read that when they brought their lamb or their small doling, because it's because sometimes the word that's used can be lamb or goat. And so they would bring their animal for the sacrifice and they would put their hands on it and put their body weight behind their hands on their head, on their side. And it was actually as if they were crushing it with their body weight. And it's that same thing you talked about. It's transferring their sin to that lamb. And by crushing it with their hands, they had to hold it. So can you imagine, you know, you bring your lamb into the priest. And the priest said, okay, put your hands on it, crush it. You know, you're holding it down as he slits its throat and the blood is now on you. The blood is flowing and your hands become bloody. You know, I mean, we don't put all that vision to it, but that's actually what how, you can't hold on to an animal and put your hands on an animal as it's dying, you know, and, and especially that kind of death and not be bloody. So, yes. so it was a picture of what was going to happen because then, like you said, in Isaiah, he was crushed. And then a few verses later, it says, and God was pleased with crushing him. I forget. It's not worded exactly that way, but it pleased yes. him to crush his son. It pleased him to, to lay the burden, to lay the sin on him for all of mankind. That's right. And it's it's an amazing, amazing thing that he did. We just don't get it. No, we don't. And even his cries from the cross, um, I'll never forget when I was studying through those. And I have some different series called Passover Passion um, and Holy Week messages. And this is in one of those about the cries from the cross. But there's one that it just stands out to me so powerfully. And he was, he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the Gentile church, mm-hmm. in our Gentile world, in our Western thought, we take that for what it means, for what it says. And we think that's what Jesus was saying, but that's mm-hmm. not what he was saying. He was redirecting them mm-hmm. through Remez to Psalm 22. Yep. And he was, he was trying to tell them, look, Did you not read David prophesied a thousand years ago about this very day? And I am fulfilling it. They divided my garments. They pierced my hands and my feet. They're mocking me. They're saying, let God save him. God come, you know, bring him down from the cross if he's the right one, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's directing them back to Psalm 22 to prove to them that that was being fulfilled right before their eyes. It was. And see, we don't, we don't get this in the New Testament Gentile church. You're right. We, we have a Western mindset and we miss things like that. But they're so powerful when you recognize that. It is. You're right. And I love that teaching when I heard that. And I remember telling somebody and they were like, oh, my goodness. You mean Jesus is like still teaching from the cross. Yes. Here he is dying. Yes. And he's still teaching his disciples from the cross and the people, whoever will listen. And he's like, 
he gives them a sample. He gives them the first verse right. of Psalm 22 and says, now go look at it. That's right. Remind yourself of what it says. It's about me. That's right. Now look what's happening and look what's happening here and look what you you remembered because most of them had it memorized. Right. So it's like, go through it and you're going to see what's happening here. Exactly. And you're going to put it together. That's right. You know, so it's such a cool thing. And And again, that's. It's sad that we miss that. Yes. It's sad that I hear pastor after pastor after pastor yes. and per- teacher after teacher say, God turned his back on him. No. He oh, didn't yes. Didn't no. Turn his back mm. on his son. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And as a matter of fact, if you keep on reading in Psalm 22, the word says the father, he said he did not hide his face from me. Right. Right. The Lord did not abandon his son. We've heard that all of our lives. We've heard it taught that way. And that is not correct. In the very psalm itself, it says that God did not turn his face away from him. He did not hide his face. Right. I mean, how could he? Because it's his own son and he's doing exactly what he was. He's being obedient even to death. And Exactly. Yeah. It's like we could do that as human beings. It's like, no, I can't watch that. You know, right. I can't imagine the people around jeering and, you know, throwing things at them and evilness coming from them. But, you know, I can't watch torture at all. I cannot watch anything, any show that starts something with torture. No. I have to turn it or walk out of the room. And and even The Passion of the Christ, the movie, I could not watch it. I just couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch those hard scenes. I, it was so I, hard. I had to go. And, and even when I heard this yelling you know i'm like putting my hands I, i'm like i can't do this lord i could not have been there and imagine and imagine his own mother having to endure yeah. that i remember when i was writing the books that i've written the well they're actually kind of biblical novels is what they are and so i tried to take the story of Jesus from Mary's perspective and put that into my book called Manger to Majesty. And then the earlier one that I'd written was Celestial Secret. And that was kind of the gospel looked at from a curious angel's Mm. perspective because he's trying to figure it out. And Peter says that the angels didn't understand what was happening to the Messiah. So, you know, in those, the hardest places for me to write was the crucifixion. Those were the most ripping chapters that I've ever written Mm. about anything was those chapters to try to make that real in my writing. It it Mm -hmm. tore me up. It Mm -hmm. tore me up. But God was looking down on his son, so obedient to provide the perfect sacrifice. And remember when Genesis, uh, when Genesis 22 records Abraham and Isaac going up the hill, the binding of Isaac and Isaac says to Abraham, well, Father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide himself or God will provide for himself. The burnt offering depends on what version you're right. reading. But, but Abraham was seeing the gospel right then and there. And then there was the ram caught in the thicket, the ram, the male sheep, the male substitute that was mm-hmm. the substitute for Isaac, exact picture. And also caught in the thorns. Exactly. Caught in the thorns. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's the exact picture of what Jesus did on the cross for us as well. And he was the burnt offering. And so when you go back to the Levitical offerings, some of those offerings were sweet smelling savors to the Lord. They were sweet and they drew him. And I believe Mm -hmm. that's what happened. Even 
even to the point of the darkness that fell. In my opinion, now I, I may have, you know, different people may see that differently, but I see that because if you read in Exodus and some other places, Moses was called up into the thick darkness where mm-hmm. God dwelt. And same thing with Solomon when he dedicated the temple. So there is a connection. Now, darkness can refer to evil. So you have to take it in its context in whatever it's written in the scriptures. But but there's also that darkness associated. Even in the Psalms, it says, you know, that the, the darkness is associated to some degree with the presence of God. We see it on Mount Sinai. Yes. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, being fully obedient to the Father's will, drawing the Father because it was a sweet smelling savor to the Lord, what he was doing. So it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. And in the regular church, we miss so much. We miss so much depth of these things Mm -hmm. because the people haven't been taught. You know, we just, we don't understand. Right. Yes. Yes. We've left too much out. Trying to dismiss the Torah that's right. And in doing that, we miss so much. We miss so much that's in there. But we're running out of time here, and I hate it because I know you have so much more to share, and we might have to do a second part here. Whenever we have a lamb or a, a goat die, whether from something we just couldn't save them from, because of where we live, my husband will cremate them. And he's like, oh my goodness. And he goes, if you walk out there, it smells so good, you know, because you've got this animal basically roasting and our dogs are drawn to it. You know, my husband's just like, oh my goodness, that smells so good. And it sounds sickening, you know, but you're basically Mm. cooking it, you're roasting it, you're, you're, you're burning it, but it's still that, that sacrifice. And so it goes along with what you, it made me think of that because of what you said. I mean, that, that meat smells good to somebody, you know, that's just right. Somebody else wouldn't have known we weren't grilling out, you know, if they came to our property and smelled that meat burning. And so it was a, it was a beautiful aroma. It was a good smelling aroma. Even in this sad circumstance, it was a good smelling aroma. So I can imagine the same type of thing. I mean, the aroma was, was pleasing to the Lord in the sense that, his son was being obedient and his son was giving his life for all of us who are so lost and would have never had life without him. That's right. And, you know, you had mentioned, let me just throw this in, and I know we're running out of time, so I won't make it long. But you had mentioned about the Garden of Eden earlier. And, you know, as we read back through the scriptures during the year and so forth, um, I had just read that not too long ago. And even in Genesis 3, where we have the first messianic promise. We have that recorded, of course. And then Jesus deals with their sin. He kills the animals so that they have skins. And, you know, even there, he's showing them this is how the cost of sin is. It's how, this is how serious it is. And, you know, then we come on later and we find out without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, etc. But even in that, at the end of that, he had to drive them from the garden. And all of my life, I had always seen that and thought of that as being a harsh thing. And yet it wasn't. It was God's mercy. It was God's mercy because he was protecting the tree of life so that we then now in Revelation 21 and 22 will be able to partake freely of the tree of life. It was, it's just beautiful to see that 
I thought about that earlier when you were talking about Eden, and I wasn't sure, if, you know, if I'd have the opportunity later to, to mention it. But that reminded me, it was God's mercy that he drove them from that because he was guarding it. And that's what it says the angel was there for. He was guarding it because God was like, no, that's for them to take up later when my whole beautiful redemption story is completed. I'm going to bring them back and they'll be able to eat freely from the tree of life. It's beautiful. Yes. And it's a big story from Genesis to Revelation. Yes, it's it a is. continuous story of redemption. And if you read it that way, you, you start seeing it. But there's lots of great books that help you see that kind of thing. And I'll, I might list some, too, at the end of this. Alrighty. But thank you so much. And I'm sorry we didn't get to finish all of our topics we, we talked about. But I, I think that um, we covered a great deal and we gave people a lot of information to chew on and ruminate, as they say. Yes, that's right. So thank you very much. And I so enjoyed having you here. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. And I've enjoyed being here. Thank you. It was an honor and a privilege. And I appreciate you asking. Thank you so much. And to God be the glory for everything. And uh, the Lord bless all of you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.